This is the Gently Mad, a show where I talk to and pick the brains of the smartest people running creative online businesses. Actually, not so much. If you're looking for that inspirational kick in the pants to help take your life and career to the next level, then this is probably not the place for you. To be perfectly honest, this podcast is about me. Hey, I'm Adam Clark, and I'm your host. Thanks for listening. I do talk to people on this show, but instead of that double rainbow of success BS that you'll get in most entrepreneurial shows, we talk about failure, self-doubt, and all the insecurities that we all have that keep us from doing much of anything with our lives. If that sounds like your kind of thing, then head over to avclark.com slash TGM and subscribe. Any actionable advice or helpful tips are simply a byproduct and purely unintentional. What's up, folks? Welcome to The Gently Mad, episode 54. Madam Clark, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for showing up on a Monday. I don't know where you are, where I am. It's it's one of those kind of Mondays where it's rainy, but it's warm, and it's just, ugh. It's just not a pleasant day. There's not really any other way to put it than, than that. It's just not a pleasant day, all right? <clears throat> I got a little bit of a cold, as you can tell, thanks to my wonderful little children, germ-carrying children. I always blame getting sick on my kids. It's uh, That's, you know, when you have kids, at least you can blame a lot of stuff on them. They may not have anything to do with me being sick right now, although they usually are the reason that I get sick for the last six or seven years since they've been alive. But it may not be this time, but they're just the default uh, excuse, the default reason when I'm sick. This is a, this is another two-parter today, this week. Uh, we've got Omar Zenholm on the show today and on Wednesday because we talked for more than two hours when we recorded this. This was a... I don't remember when this was. This was a month or two ago when we recorded this. And uh, it was a great, great conversation. And I decided to split it into two because two hours is just, that's too much. Even for me, that's pushing it. Because by the time you add in these intros and outros and all this stuff, then it gets even longer. You know, I am I'm, I'm I really admire Tim Ferriss and his podcast because he can do like a two-hour show. But I just, I, I don't think I'm interesting enough to to carry it carry a conversation for two hours but this one was this was interesting and i think i kind of uh went a little bit more into the how did you become who you are with omar than i i typically do because he has such an interesting story and that's why i titled this self-discovery omar has had so many different careers uh, I mean, and now they've all kind of definitely centered around this this drive for teaching and education and alternative methods for education. But he's done so many different things. Uh, he spent a decade living in Dubai and he's had a number of different businesses. He's had his own clothing line for crying out loud. Um, he's had several different online businesses, the $100 MBA and now um, Webinar Ninja which is a, a webinar product and podcast. Um, he's just done a lot of stuff. And and I was fascinated with why, where did that drive come from? And there's just been so much change in his life. And that's one thing I admire about him is the ability to, to just try things, to try new things. And if something isn't working, try something else. And even if it is working, and even if he's loving it, he's still constantly trying things. And 
I think that's one of the areas that I have personally struggled a lot with in my life is that I have all these ideas, but I don't try a lot of them, at least until recently, because I'm afraid to fail. I'm afraid it's not going to work for whatever reason. I don't I don't do it. And Omar really just just sort of guns blazing goes after new opportunities. And so th- this first hour, if you will, uh, there's a lot of intro stuff here, getting to know him and kind of how things got started and how he got to Dubai and why he went there and and a lot of the different things that he started to try. And uh, what's coming on Wednesday is sort of the conclusion of the story. So definitely come back for that. It was a very interesting conversation. I don't think I've met anyone who has done uh, quite as many different things as Omar has done. So We'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, I think I already said thanks for listening, but I am glad that you're here. And uh, thank you for supporting the show. And, you know, w- whether it's listening to it or supporting it financially or leaving me reviews and iTunes, telling people about it, all that stuff helps. I'm grateful for it. It's been a crazy month. You want to know what I spent a month doing? Nothing. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, I've done a lot of stuff to avoid doing things. So, I mean, I've been busy, but I still haven't accomplished anything in relation to the goals that I had set for myself in the first half of this year. I literally sat around this month avoiding doing two days of work. You know, I I had two days of work basically to finish something. And I just lost all the wind in my sales. I mean, I just, I I was... uh, I was avoiding it. I don't know exactly why, but I just, I got down to that last 5%, you know, again, two days worth of work on something that has taken me months to do. And I stopped, I stopped two days short of finishing and I've spent the whole month trying to avoid it, trying to figure out other ideas, come up with new stuff, do different things. And yesterday, well, not yesterday, but the day before yesterday, I was sitting down, I was talking to my wife. I was like, this is ridiculous. I've got to finish this. I spent all this time on it. It's currently useless as it is because I can't sell it uh, with it without it being done. And I'm so close to it being finished. Why am I avoiding this? And so yesterday, I just sort of locked myself in my office and, and just gave myself a time limit and said, I'm going to sit here and do this until this time and see how much I can get done. I got half of it done yesterday. You know, in in about four hours, I got half of it done. And I'm going to finish the rest of it today, as soon as I'm done getting this podcast out. And it feels great. It feels so good to actually just get it done. Because it's been, you know what that's like when you're avoiding something and you put all this effort into avoiding it. When you could just do it, you could just take a day or two and do it, take a weekend and, and just get it done. And then it's done, you know, and uh, so my whole month has been kind of out of whack because of that. I've just been this thing's been hanging over my head and I've been avoiding it, but I'm almost done. I've got a little bit left and but the finish line, I mean, I can almost taste it. I can reach it. I'm almost feel the ribbon at the end of the race here. I mean, that's how close I am. I'm so close. And I finally just decided to sit down and get it done. Now, I don't know um, if I'm going to be able to sell this course. I haven't mentioned what I'm talking about. I'm talking about my podcasting course, but 
I don't know how well it's going to be received. So far, it's been received well by the people who are in there already. But uh, I'm excited to try, at least. I've spent all of this year working on this and this show and a new show I'm about to launch. And I hate it when I do that, when I get all the way to the end and then I, and then I quit. And I, it's like some form of self-sabotage, some form of, you know, I, I did all this work. Because if I go all the way to the end, then I have to start selling it. Then I have to put myself kind of on the line. I have to kind of say, hey, this is what I made and hope people like it, hope that it's worth something. And so maybe there's some sort of, I don't know, weird self-sabotage in there that if I don't finish it, then I don't have to actually put it out there. I don't have to hear uh, criticism if there is any. Uh, maybe it's some sort of fear of that. But it's stupid because I, I, I quit everything else I was doing. You know, I'm kind of banking my whole financial situation this year on this course and I've spent a whole month not finishing it even when I'm so close so anyway that's what I've been doing today on this dreary Monday and yesterday which was a much nicer day but I'm almost done with this thing and I'm, I'm glad I've, I'm already feeling the release of the pressure so if you're working on something and you're procrastinating it then it, trust me, it, it just feels a lot better if you just get to it, get it done, get it over with. And now the real work starts, honestly. I mean, it's definitely been work creating this thing, but now the real work of selling it and of, of doing something with it starts. And I, it's been fun creating it, but there's just been something about this, uh, this finishing it, you know, I, I all this fear of, it failing of it being, you know, a piece of crap of it not being any good. I didn't have any of that, or I had very little of that in the beginning in the, in the beginning of creating it. But once I got down to the finish line, I think that might be what it is. So afraid of people thinking that it is worthless or, or no good that I just stopped right before crossing that line. So Regardless, I'm crossing that line now. Um, I, I got very close to it yesterday, and I'm going to be finishing it up today. So we'll see how it goes. I'll let you know. I'll let you know how it goes. I'm not going to know for a couple weeks, but I'll let you know. And if you're in that same place, trust me, just do it. Just get it done. All right? Okay. Well, like I said, uh, Omar Zenholm on the show today and Wednesday be sure and check back Wednesday for the last half of the story. Very, very fascinating guy and a lot of cool stuff, interesting stuff that he's done. So we'll be right back with my conversation with him after this word from our sponsors. The Jilly Matt is sponsored today by Harvest. Harvest is a business tool for time tracking, beautiful invoicing, and generating reports. I called up Danny Wen, one of the co-founders of Harvest, and issued him the 20 word challenge. Give me a uh, Harvest in 20 words or less without any buzzwords or, you know, industry speak, if you will. <laughs> I'll try my best, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's been a while since I've been doing this, but, um, 
Okay, so Harvest uh, at, at its core is a time tracking and invoicing and now time planning application. So uh, we help um, anyone in professional services, uh, people in consulting and design development, uh, really get a hold of their business, know where their time is going, and also bill for their time and get paid for it. So in a nutshell, that's, that's kind of what we do. Cool, except that was like 100 words. So. <laughs> <laughs> I told you it's been a while, man. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Okay, so maybe Harvest can't be summed up in 20 words, but it's an amazing tool and it's probably the number one thing I could not live without in my business. If I had to cancel any of the handful of monthly services that I use, Harvest would be the last one to go. I love it. I use it almost every single day. And as a designer, it's a delight, an absolute delight to use. So go to getharvest.com and sign up. Your first month is already free and you can get 50% off your second month by using the promo code TGM. Again, that's getharvest.com. And thanks to them for sponsoring the Gently Mad. this is it let's get to it this is part one of my conversation with mr omar zenholm be sure and check the show notes for this episode which are at avclark.com slash 54 for links to all the stuff he's working on which is some pretty cool stuff all right let's get to it What is the fucking deal with San Diego, man? I mean, every everyone's in San Diego. Every, I mean, everyone I'm talking to. It's like people just keep... I, I just recorded with Pat Flynn last week. He's in San Diego. Yeah. I talk, A good friend of mine, Caleb Wojcik, is in San Diego. Amy mm-hmm. Porterfield is in San Diego. Uh, Rick Mulready is in San Diego. Um, mm-hmm. I just talked to... Michael Dumas. I talked to John Lee Dumas, who has become yeah. a recent friend of mine. Everyone's in San Diego. It's like... It's like San Diego is the San Francisco of content marketing, basically. I guess you could say that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, seriously, what's the deal? I, you know, I'm uh, from New York. I, I was born and raised there, and I actually moved from Manhattan to San Diego. Well, but, uh, Pat gave me, um, uh, not Pat, sorry, um, John gave me the same story. You know, I mean, he, he wasn't born and raised there, but he was in New York. He loved New York, but... Mm-hmm. Something about San Diego is just the, the call of San Diego. I mean, what, there is what a brought you? There is a logic. What brought me was I just couldn't take the winters in New York anymore. That was, I mean, that was John's so reason. Cold. That was John's reason, this too. It's ridiculous. Um, Crazy. And why San Diego? Because there's nice weather in a lot of other places. I think San Diego is very conducive to the online or entrepreneur or work-at-home kind of person or lifestyle because one, there's no major industry in San Diego other than the biotech industry. Um, so most people that work here come here for work or for the services and things like that. Um, so the cost of living here is not astronomically low, but it is good given the fact that you have the beach and the great weather of San Diego. Sure. So you're getting like the lifestyle or the weather and the beach of like an LA or 
you know, a Santa Barbara or even like the lifestyle of San Francisco a little bit for, uh, you know, a lot less, a lot less of the price. So, so what is it now? I wonder if you have this prediction or not, but I'm wondering if, um, you know, I just named off a bunch of uh, famous people. Um, do you think, cause sometimes that happens. I've noticed that like, I've been a web designer in the web industry for the past five, mm-hmm. six years. And only in the last three months have I decided to uh, kind of switch careers and, and, and do my podcast full time and make a course and, and like fully dive headfirst into whatever you want to call this kind of online business, content marketing, you know, whatever it is. Um, do you think that there's a chance that San Diego, um, like, like I said, I've seen this in the web world happen, uh, will uh, the, the community of content marketers, people who make their living, you know, kind of doing what we do, producing mm-hmm. content, making courses with information. You think that community, you think there will be potentially a community there that grows because you've already got this sort of circle of extremely famous people right there. I mean, I could see That's that happening. I, I could see people thinking, if I want to do this, if I want to do make courses and make content and do that, um, San Diego's got all these great people and I could be in close proximity, maybe potentially get into a group with them. I, I could see people being drawn to the city just because uh, so many people are, so many famous people are already there. Um, I guess you could say that. I mean, I have to, I, okay, the, the kind of entrepreneur you're talking about is a very self-made kind of person. It's not yep. venture backed. It's not a startup. Yeah. It's, you know, so the, the appeal of going to San Francisco or to Boulder or something like that, you know, you're, you're funded, you have money. Yeah. Um, it's not easy to do what these people are doing and to do it and make a living out of it. So most people that are going to go full time, I personally would recommend that you'd make sure that you can make enough money, uh, to pay your expenses and all that stuff. Well, you know, well over that. that well, to- yeah, totally. I, I'm just saying that I've seen in the web world, you know, there would be a really famous, like, like New York, for example. Well, yeah. New York's probably a bad example because it's, first of all, I'm it's New York. Like, if you go to New York or you go to like, say, for example, you go to LA to become an actor, like you're going for work, you know, you're going, you're right. going for the opportunities. And I wouldn't say that that's necessarily true. Like by just being in San Diego, you're going to get be better or your business is going to be better just because you're around these people. No, uh, they're busy. Yeah. They're very busy. Like we're like, you know, and we do see each other like at parties or whatever, but it is fun. You know, it's nice to meet people that do the same thing and get what you're doing and they don't think you're, you know, a dreamer or something, you know? So no, but I, I know a few people that have moved to San Diego just for that reason, to be closer to some of the mm. people that they worked with and that they, you know, were in the same circles with. And as you said, people like us tend to be uh, kind of isolated, you know, yeah. because we do our own thing. And so there's a draw to, um, being a location wise in a place where other people are doing what you're trying to do. And I think, I mean, what I was trying to, I guess my point was, is that like, I think if you have an established business, it's a good place to actually live your life because, because of the weather and because of the people and because of the, all that stuff. But I wouldn't go there hoping that your business will take off. No, no, no. Yeah. And I, I didn't mean to insinuate that. Like if you go to San Diego, suddenly your business will take off. I'm only saying that, if you if you aspire to do what 
we're trying to do here and there's mm. a lot of people doing that in a specific spot in the country yeah it would be logical that eventually some people are going to start going to that spot because they want yeah. to do the same thing and that's where those people are but yeah you're definitely I mean, going to connect yeah i i mean i'm you know i can't wait till i can move back to the west coast i've had last eight years since i've been married basically we've wanted to move back but there have been several obstacles and this year finally um the last obstacle seems like it might be uh being removed which will allow us to move back but if we move back we're moving to la so i don't know man pitch sell me on san diego why, why should i move to san diego versus los angeles <laughs> well, well why do you want la like what's attractive about la i love la man i just i love it i i am um, I've always loved show business and film culture, and mm-hmm. when I say that, I don't mean I'm, I don't mean like pop culture and celebrity gossip. There's a difference there. Um, I'm not, you know, I lived in LA for um, a long time, and I, um, it's not like a oh I want to go to LA and I might run into, you know, a, I might run into Tom Cruise or something, you know, because that that kind of stuff rarely happens if you live out there. You know, that that kind of stuff never happens, but I, I'm just fast. First of all, I, I love California. I love the culture. I love the, um, I mean, I, I personally, my personal held beliefs are, are fairly, um, you know, religiously, I guess I would say I'm a Christian or whatever, but, but my, my, you know, culturally I'm a little more, um, I don't fit within the Bible belt, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, I love the culture of California. I love kind of the open-mindedness there. I love the pace, but mostly what draws me to LA is um, um, I I love film culture and, and I love all mm. the little indie cinemas that are everywhere. And I love being able to go see a movie. And there's a very good chance that one of the producers or actors or one of the people that actually someone who actually worked on the film is going to be in that crowd, and you can yep. talk to them for a minute and. You know, when I was a kid, my dream was to be a film critic. I mean, what, what kid wants to be a film critic, man? Seriously. And oh, uh, cool. by the time I grew up, though, you know, those jobs just don't exist. I mean, you, you could, I think you could still do it. Someone could mm-hmm. still possibly, you know, be a film critic on their own on the web and and turn it into a business. But I think it'd be very tough. But um so my, my dream is to eventually, you know, I just want to raise my kids in California and um, I want to get back out there and have access to the kind of people that I'd mm-hmm. love to talk to, you know, rather than know just rather rather than just like, you know, people like Omar Zenholm, you know, I love the show. It has a vibe. Yeah. You know, it has a great vibe. Uh, I, I I can kind of compare it to maybe like New York has a vibe itself. It has an energy. It's very competitive. You're going to meet oh, I established love people on the street. Like, totally. You know, I had a chat with like Matt Dillon at a cafe, saw like Spike Lee on the street, whatever. Like it's very yeah. normal to see people that you would consider quote unquote famous or established in society. And it's not, I don't want to paint the wrong picture. It's not, it's not meeting people famous. It's that, you know. Um, I love to talk to people, which is why I'm a podcaster, which is why I've chosen an interview mm-hmm. format. Um, it's not really an interview. It's, it's, it's more conversation, but I love having conversations with people. And um, I found that there's a lot of people that don't 
like Skype. They don't get it. They don't want to do that. If you want to have a conversation with them, then you're going to have to, you're going to have to get them in person somehow. And Mm -hmm. living where I live, you know, it's just, um, you know, um, there's no one ever comes through here. And so I want to put myself in a place where, you know, most people are going to be traveling through at some point or another, and I might be able to get a hold of. And, nice. um, and I also have friends, you know, it's, uh, I, have, I still have friends back there, but, um, but you know, what is, uh, you know, I, New York too, man, I love New York. And if I didn't have kids, New York would be the choice for sure. But mm. I have a family, I want a yard, you know, that kind of thing. So Got it. what about you? Do you have kids? Are you a family guy? Yeah, I have two kids from a previous relationship, um, and they're, uh, you know, two girls. Love them to death. Great, great, great bunch of kids. Two girls as well, man. How old are yours? Uh, one is twelve, and the other one is uh, three, going on four. Wow. Okay. Those are so. That's uh. That's quite a. It's quite a uh, distance there. So yeah. was was the second um, kind of accidental. Uh, no, um, it, it was kind of, yeah, it was unplanned, but it was not uh, accidental. It's kind of like, uh, kind of just happened. Yeah. All right. Can I drop some news here, Omar? Yeah. This is, this is, uh, you're getting an, ex- your, your episode is, is going to be exclusive here. All right. Why? Uh, we just found out there's going to be a third little Clark running around in the world this year. Oh, wow. And, um, you're the only one outside of my immediate family that I've told. So, Ooh. you know, I, I don't know if you should feel special. Like, I, don't I feel special. <laughs> I feel special. I feel, we, this, you know, serious here. <laughs> but the, the reason I'm telling you is because my youngest daughter is, is about to turn six. So there's going to be a many, there's going to be a, basically this, this baby is going to be essentially an only child. So I wanted to ask you what that was like or what that is like having kids that are so far apart because, uh, my oldest two are very close. They're only, mm-hmm. um, year and a half apart youngest will now be um almost seven years apart from the the youngest other child so what's mm. that like man i think it's good i think the older child definitely takes a role of responsibility you yep. know the big brother or sister and really helps a lot um but on the flip side you know you know the baby's going to do things break toys and the older one may not be mature enough to understand that they're just a baby but um you know they work it out and it's fine yeah. What do you, um, um, what do you, how do I ask this? What, what's your favorite thing about being a parent? Cause uh, that's, I know that, I know that's, that's why I was kind of struggling with the question. I'm not sure how to phrase it, but I guess not just like what's your favorite thing, but like what has being a parent, um, how has it changed you in, in a it, way that you never would have expected, but that has, that has completely changed your life? I think that people that don't have children don't know the meaning of patience. I don't. I like <laughs> you can't be patient. Like you could be a really nice person. You Very could do true. yoga. You could meditate, but you don't really know anything about patience until you have children. I think I agree with you. I I, I feel the same way. I think. Um, uh, yeah, I, I hear. It's always funny, man, when you when you talk to your single friends. Um, especially, yeah, they're single. First of all, they're not married, and they don't have kids. And they get pissed at you, and you're like, "Dude, I can't, uh, I can't hang out that night, or I can't do that." And yeah. and they don't really get pissed, but they're just like, "Man, you, you never can do anything anymore." 
And they're always like, when I get married, when I have a family, I'm not going to let it change me like that. And I'm like, well, you just wait, my friend, because <laughs> there's it's not, it's not your choice. It's, it's not your choice. It's going to happen. I always compare parenthood to being it's like getting on a plane and the plane hits 30,000 feet and then the pilot jumps out and says, have fun on his way out of the plane. And you're just like, holy fuck, what do I do now? You know, I've got to figure out how to keep this plane in the air and keep everyone from dying at the same time. And it's just this whirlwind of trying to figure it out. Like, I wish I wish there was a parenting manual or a marriage manual. But unfortunately, it's and there are plenty of things that claim to be. But unfortunately, it's one of those things that you just you have to learn on the job. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't think Mm -hmm. you can ever be prepared, you know. So when you you're an entrepreneur, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're solo guy, you, you do your own thing, blaze your own trail. Were you, were you doing this before you were married and had kids and all that stuff or did it come after? Well, um, I was solo for a very long time. I mean, recently, last three years, um, since uh, Nicole and I met, uh, she's my business partner and she's my partner in life now. Uh, so, but I was, I was a lone wolf for a very long time. Um, and I, I probably could define my entrepreneurial kind of maturity through being a lone wolf versus teaming up with somebody that connects with me at the same time is a fantastic addition to our team. Um, explain, explain what you mean by that. Uh, okay. So I mean the the part where you said you could attribute your entrepreneurial maturity to being a lone wolf. Yeah, because what uh, for over a decade, I I started in you know different businesses online. I had physical businesses, brick and mortar businesses. I, you know, I did all this, um, you know, kind of discovering what I want to do online. How do I want to make money? You know, like I had a very successful business that made money. Some didn't make money, but the point was, some businesses that made money, I had to close down because I just. It wasn't me. It wasn't for me. I didn't enjoy it. I, it didn't. It wasn't sustainable because I didn't enjoy it. So, um, and I was doing that having a full time job. And, oh, so these were all side businesses. Oh yeah, yeah. I was an educator cow, for man. over a decade. Yeah, I was a teacher, an educator for a very long time. I was teacher trainer. I was a last five years. I was an administrator. I was like head of department at the university I was teaching at. So it was. Um, I did a lot of that on the side, trying to figure out. How you old know, are you? I am 35. Oh, we're exactly, when's your birthday, man? March 13. March 13. Okay, so you're about almost a year older than me. So we're, we're kind of, we're in the same, you know, same generation, same cultural cultural references. So, you know, okay, let, let, let's just back it up a little bit because I kind of got ahead of myself there um, with all the moving to California stuff. <laughs> I love, <laughs> I talk to these people and they're all in California and I get so, it just, it, I'm jealous. It's like, I can't, it's going to be soon. It's going to be within the next two years, but I just, I got to be patient. But so you were born and raised in New York, you said? Yeah. Long Island. Okay. Long Island. So what was, uh, you know, what did, what, what did you want to be? You know, I said, I want to be a film critic. What, what did you want to mm. be when you were a kid? Uh, when I was very young, I, I, I used to like to draw. I used to do, I wanted to be a cartoonist. I used to copy a lot of different sketches of cartoons, Ninja Turtles, Darkwing Duck, things like mm-hmm. that. Right? <laughs> and, uh, Me too, man. I've still got a Darkwing Duck poster from when I was like uh, 10 years old. That's freaking yeah, crazy. It's the best thing that came out of Disney. I know. So, so um, I, 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 I dabbled in that. And then I got into sports when I was around 11, 12. I played basketball and, um, and track and things like that. And I just kind of let it go. Um, 
And then, uh, you know, my father has been in sales all his life, all my life. He, he's actually an engineer and, you know, early on before I was even born, um, his company got bought out and he lost his job. And in the midst of trying to find a job in a bad economy, he just picked up a sales job in a luxury car dealership, like an automobile sales job. What time uh, frame was this? Mm, this is like mid 70s, 76. Oh, so um, before you were born then? Yeah, before okay. I was born. Yeah. Um, and he picked up a sales job and he just fell in love with sales and never looked back, never went back to being an engineer. And, um, you know, just got better and better, became, you know, the manager, then, you know, took over the place. And so, you know, he, he just found his kind of calling. And um, I used to go to work with him as a kid, you know, 12, 13 years old. And I used to uh, work at the wash bay where you wash the cars, you know, before, you know, the customers actually uh-huh. get their car delivered. And, you know, or they call it delivery, but it's when they actually go home with the car. Yeah. So, um, I used to see my dad in action and see my dad do things in sales. And I, I also was very aware of how unpredictable sales is and commission-based life is. You know, one summer we'll have a fantastic vacation. Next summer we're in the backyard, right? Yeah. So it's very up and down. So growing up in that environment, I always wanted to just get something stable. It's like, I'm gonna, you know, I don't want to go to the military. I don't want to be a doctor. You know, no offense to any of those paths, but I just, it's not what what I want to do. So I just said, I want to be a teacher. I'll be a teacher. I'll be in, you know, I'll go into education. And that's what I studied in university and I got my master's and I, uh, I taught English as a second language. I taught to non-native speakers how to speak English so they can be able to take courses in English. Um, and then I, uh, after doing that for a bit, I traveled overseas. I spent 10 years in Dubai where I taught English at the high school level. Then I taught uh, and became an administrator and a teacher trainer um, at the university level there in Dubai. Um, And my educational career or where I was working in education kind of ended there. And that's when I, when I made the leap into entrepreneurship, I moved back into my hometown, New York, I moved into Manhattan and, uh, and, and started going, going at it. So two questions. So, I mean, like you, when I asked you what you wanted to be when you were a kid, you said, well, I I always loved to draw. So it sounds like drawing was something, you know, artistry, you know, um, was something that was important to you as a kid, but the, you saw the instability of, of, uh, and you, you called it sales, but it's, you know, it's really any kind of self-employment, you know, the, the instability of doing your own thing versus, you know, um, being hired by someone else. And so, uh, is that what, is that, is that what kind of made you think, yeah, I'm not going to draw because that is going to be a very unstable thing. Or did you just Mm. lose interest in it? It's not that I just lost interest. I I liked it, but you know, there's only so many hours in the day and I really got into basketball and sports and, you know, between homework and chores at home and basketball practice, I just your interest just changed. To, I guess. Yeah, and something had to let go. I had to let go of something. I just didn't have enough time. And like I'm sure I remember when I was a kid or when I was 12, 13, when I started playing basketball, I was like, oh, I want to get a new sketch pad and start drawing, but it just never happened because there's no time. I just, I, you know, you're busy when you're a kid, I guess. Yeah, 
And so you, you know, I guess what I'm getting at is, is there still some desire deep down in there to well, to draw uh, and be an artist? Or did you let it go truly because, you know, you just, you evolved and you changed and you weren't interested anymore? Or, you know, is it still down there somewhere? Well, I don't think it was drawing that I really enjoyed because what I really enjoy as a in my personality, what I, who I am to the core and the reason why I do what I do now is... Uh, I just enjoy creating things. I like to create things, put it out in the yeah. world, you know, see what people think, um, see if I can delight somebody, ch- change their mood, maybe uh, help them with an issue they have, a problem, there's something they're struggling with. You know, that process of, you know, creation, launching, putting it out there is, is, is I'm addicted to it. I really like it a lot and I enjoy it. Um, and, um, hence we have a daily podcast because, <laughs> you know, it gives me a chance to create something every, you know, every, every day cause something comes out new. So no, I, I get that feeling yeah. for sure. But so, so why sports then, man? Because I'm the same way as you. I, I, I just have always loved making things, you know, I was very drawn to writing and reading and I drew a little bit as a kid, but I didn't have much of that kind of artistic skill. I was drawn more toward writing and uh, music. I used to write a lot of music, and I was in a lot of bands. So same sort of creative drive. But sports is like, um, and all the guys who were into sports were like the opposite of me. So like that's a, that's mm. a that's an interesting mix of personality there. So what uh, where did that come from? Well, there's two things about sports that I really got a high out of. Um, one, I'm a very competitive person. I'm very competitive. I really, I want to be successful. I need to feel significance, you know, and 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 that's a big reason why I left my career in education because I, I eventually realized that I'm building for somebody else, some other organization, and I yeah. don't feel significant. I feel like another number. I feel like as soon as I resign, I'm going to be replaced and it's like, who cares what you did for this place? Yeah. Right. So that's one thing. The other thing is I'm very um, interested and I'm very kind of, uh, I, I like to study the, the, the concept and the skills of becoming a master at something. And I feel like sports, music, you know, dance, all these things, it's, it takes a level of mastery and commitment yeah. in order for you to be even decent, you know? And I feel like that's an art and that's a skill that's really been lost in recent times. I think that, you know, there's a lot of dabblers out there. There's a lot of people that like to just be sufficient so they can be able to talk about mm-hmm. it and look like they know they're doing. Um, and, and what I loved about sports is that every time I went out there and played basketball or every time I practiced or went to, you know, just a pickup game or something, you, you know, the sport will kick your butt. You know, it'll tell you like you're not you're not where you need to be, you know, and it's like it's this, you know, discipline of that mental game, the discipline of, you know, you're controlling your own body and making sure that you're in shape and all that stuff is just, it's a combination of being a master at something. And I, and I feel like those skills that I learned during those days when I was very active in sport has really helped me as an entrepreneur in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I think where we're different, I mean, it's amazing how similar we are. I'm I'm trying to just not talk because (laughs) I want to jump in so many times because we have we have very similar backgrounds. But um, but the one difference is that I I don't have a competitive bone in my body. Um, Mm. I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but like my wife gets mad at me because, you know, we'll be playing board games or whatever with the family or with friends and 
And I'm like, you know, she she's like, come on, Adam, you know, like, let's get into it. You know, and I'm like, it's just a game. I don't care who wins at Monopoly. I mean, I, mm. you know, it doesn't matter to me. And and she is like you. She's so competitive. And she's like, it does matter. And we're going to win this damn thing. You know, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. you know, but so, um, uh, yeah, where, where do you think? I don't know. Do you think that that competitive... Because I can see how the competitive nature could be um, an asset as an entrepreneur. And I could also see how someone like me, you know, a lack of competitiveness can also be an asset. So, I mean, how has competitiveness, you know, that drive, you know, in what way specifically, I guess, has that helped you? Well, I want to, I I don't think it's competitiveness per se. I don't know if I, that's the right word. I think, um, because there's a lot of competitive people out there, but they're really not, I think what I, I would put it or phrase it as is that I have high expectations for myself. I, I really want to do well. I really am hungry. Um, I, it's hard for me just to chill. It's hard for me to just to be like, you know, that's good enough, yep. you know? Um, and you know, so I, I could be playing it like we were playing a game the other day, like some card game and I wasn't really into it. And like if I win, lose, I don't care. But when it comes to something I'm working on that I care about, then you know, I'm going to do my best and, and make sure that, you know, I, I give it all. Um, so no, I, I totally think, get that. Yeah. yeah. The, the perfectionist so, tendency there. Yeah. And I, I'm also just trying to look at other people that I feel that are better at me at things. And I try to study their work and try to see how I can implement some of the things that they use in their work, you know, their, their skills, um, see, you know, where I'm lacking and try to, try to, you know, compensate with that. Um, I think that it's helped me as an entrepreneur because one of the first things you learn when you go full time as an entrepreneur, you're not side hustling anymore. You, you, your, your bread, your rent, everything is dependent on your business, you need to be your own boss. You need to push yourself. You need to make sure that you're disciplined. You need to make sure you have your own schedule. You need to make sure that you can kick yourself in the ass, you know? Um, And if you don't have that fire in your belly to do that, then you're just simply not going to make it, period. Like you you just can't because you have bills are going to keep rolling in. You can't live for free unless, you know, you have very generous parents or something. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, otherwise, it's just math. You can't, you have to, you have to, you have to put in the hustle. And the problem is, is that a lot of people, um, say that they want it, but really what they want is something like they want comforts of this world and more than what they, than actually having a successful business. Yeah. They just want um, to win the lottery basically. Well, not win the lottery, but I mean, they would just, they just want to be, you know, yeah, they, they just want to be good, comfortable and not have to. Yeah, it's not yeah. about work. It's just, man, I wish I just had this money in the bank and then I could just do whatever I want every day and not have to work. You know. Well, I think a good exercise for people that want to see if they, oh, do I really want to be an entrepreneur or not or whatever, or this is my path or is this for me, is is to try it on a summer holiday or something. On a, take a couple months off work or take a leave of absence or something and give it a shot and see if you can pull it off. Because I know like one of our students one time at the Hunter LBA came to me, sent me an email and told me, I thank you so much for your course because it was the first time I'd taken a course that actually gave me the truth and told me how the reality is. And when I tried to do, I realized, man, this is hard. You know, like I want it, but I actually feel a lot more comfortable with the job. I feel like it, I, I don't want it that bad, you know. Yeah. And I think that's a huge realization. And to me, that's a that's kind of a cool win um, because it helps people from wasting their time and money. 
you know. Um, yeah. Obviously, I, I would love for whoever really wants it to be successful. And I don't want to sound like this is impossible. People can do this. You can definitely do this. Plenty of people will do it and you can make it happen. But um, I've interviewed a lot of different entrepreneurs. I spoke to a lot of people. Everybody that I know that has actually made it, they have this like I want a bad inside them. And yeah. you can't you, you can't give that to somebody. You can't learn that. Yeah, I, I think everyone has different motives that drive them, you know, mm-hmm. and, and from some people it does come from that place of like, I want this really bad. Um, it can be different, though, for people like like for me, the drive comes from uh, not not that I not that I want this self-employment so badly. Um, but what I really want is, is, is freedom. You know, I I want, Mm. I want freedom and I want control over my life. And you could argue, you know, if we wanted to get all philosophical here, we could argue whether or not, you know, control over one's life is, is an illusion or you really do have it or not. But being self-employed, whether it's an illusion or not, gives me that sense of, of control that I can, I can wake up today and I can make this day anything I want to make it, you know, um, and I'm not, I don't have to go somewhere for, for, from nine to five and, and do something else. Um, I, who knows what could happen this day. And, and I, I want that freedom. I want the freedom to make my own choices and, and, you know, do what I want to do, you know, use my time, how I best see fit. And that's what drives yeah. me is that, uh, every, you know, I even dabbled with, I thought, well, you know, there's, there's a lot of, the world's changed since the nineties when I worked full time for like IBM and companies like that, you know, there's a lot of distributed companies, you know, companies are run differently. Mm-hmm. Maybe, uh, maybe employment is different. I mean, you know, maybe it's not as bad as I remember <laughs> and, uh, maybe, maybe. and I tried it and I tried it. I went back yeah. for a little bit, um, to eight weeks basically. And, mm-hmm. um, and then I quit because I, I realized it was as bad as I remember. And and the biggest thing, the biggest revelation to me was I remember one Sunday night about six weeks in, you know, I was uh, talking to my wife. I was getting ready to get into bed. And I had that feeling that just hit me like, shit, tomorrow's Monday, you know, and I got to I got to go back and do that. And I realized that I hadn't had that feeling in five years since I've been working mm. for myself. And I realized that all the stresses of self-employment are better than having that feeling on Sunday nights. So, um, so that, I mean, for me, I just, you know, if I had to be employed, you know, to to feed my family, of course I would do it. But as long as I have a choice, I'm going to be figuring out my own path, basically, whatever that Mm -hmm. is, you know? Yeah. So you, uh, you know, so, so you, you grew up in New York, your dad, salesman, you have siblings, just you? Yeah, I have two older sisters, Mona and Iman. Um, Mona's three years older than me, Iman's five years older than me. So I was the youngest, um, but I grew up with girls. So um, yeah. I had to do chores just like everybody else. My mom was a very strong, independent woman. So, um, you know, I had to do my own, pick, you know, pick up my own weight at home. Um, and uh you know, it's it's good because I know a lot of people didn't have that growing up, and it it does change you. It does change you to have that sense of responsibility and to understand that it doesn't just take care of itself. You got to do it yourself, and um, and also just to realize that you know whatever relationship you're in, friends, loved ones, whatever, it's a team sport. You can't just sit down and just expect everybody to just you know. That's how a lot of when people don't know what they're expected of each other. A lot of times, that's how arguments start. You know. Yeah. What was, um, 
you just described a little bit about, about what your family life was like, but you know, you had sisters, now you have daughters. Um, <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, it's like you're wired to, to, uh, <laughs> understand women basically. I don't know about that, but, uh, <laughs> hopefully, uh, I, I can, uh, I can get by. <laughs> what was, um, uh, you know, when you chose teaching, you know, you, I, I guess it was just out of a, um, like you said, you didn't want to be a doctor or go to the military, but you wanted something stable and, and, and I can see the appeal of teaching. I've thought about that before too, but what, uh, what, 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 uh, drove you to Dubai? I mean, born, raised New York, Long mm. Island. How does some, how, how does someone, you know, go from there to, you know, Dubai all of a sudden? That's a good question. Um, well, in the field that I was in, I, I, I was teaching English as a second language. So, uh, people that I'm teaching, they're not native speakers. So in this career, it's a very good idea for you to get international experience because you're not only teaching English, but you're also teaching English in the climate, in the culture of a different culture. Um, and so when you come back to the States with this type of career or this type of experience, uh, you're a lot more equipped because you understand these you know, these students, their culture, you know, you understand where they're coming from. You have mm -hmm. some context. So I knew this early on in my career and I thought I need to, you know, get some international experience and I like to travel and, you know, I, I traveled a bit when I was younger. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm Egyptian. My parents are Egyptian. They migrated to the, the U S in the sixties. And, um, so I went to Egypt actually first to see if I can find a job teaching English there. Um, and on a summer vacation, I just went on a summer vacation and just kind of said, Hey, I'll, you know, explore the market, see what's going on. And, uh, I'll just, uh, tell my uh, supervisor back home that, uh, I might, might take a leave of absence or I might take a year off until I, uh, you know, see if I can find a job here. Um, unfortunately I, I, it was very hard to find a job that would, you know, cover my expenses. You know, the economy was not so good at the time in, in, in Egypt and it's not that great either now. Um, but I had a distant relative that lived in Dubai. It was actually my mom's cousin's husband. So, um, he was visiting, uh, Egypt for summer break. He lives in Dubai. He told me, Hey, you should check out Dubai. It's a growing city. It's a growing, you know, the United Arab Emirates is a growing country. Um, they'll definitely need your expertise as an English teacher because they, you know, they really care about education there and they, they'll pump a lot of money into it. Um, and if anybody's listening, that's ever in the ESL world or taught English, you know, the Gulf, Gulf countries like, you know, Dubai, um, you know, Oman, Kuwait, Bahrain, you know, Qatar, these oil rich countries, um, are very, uh, lucrative. Like you're not going to get paid, um, like that as a teacher anywhere else in the world. So I'm mm -hmm. basically going to go and, um, find a job hopefully that, you know, would pay me more than I would ever imagine or ever will in my career. So, um, I just cut a ticket, went down to Dubai and, you know, I had a friend of a friend that, uh, told me, Hey, um, you know, my friend Jamil, he's, you know, this great Canadian guy, he's teaching English there. You may want to check him out. Here's his number. I called him. We met up at Starbucks. This is literally the night after I landed, you know, and it's August. It's ridiculously hot. It's like 115 degrees, hundred percent humidity. Oh, um, I know. no, no, no. You like walk into this, like. I, sp I spent some time there. So yeah, I understand what oh, you okay. mean. <laughs> so, so, um, so basically I met up with my friend Jamil or he wasn't my friend at the time, but he is my friend now. And he said, Hey, yeah, I, I teach English here at the high school level school here. 
And um, you should apply because we just had a teacher leave, you know, during the break. It was like holiday break and they said, you know, he's not returning. Here's, you know, the director's number, you know, give him a call. I was like, okay, cool. Um, I gave him a call. He said, come over to the office and let's do an interview. And I had an interview. His name is Bill, Bill Paracci, if you're listening. Bad <laughs> love to you, Bill. So Bill ended up being a fellow New Yorker. Uh, Italian-American, one of like my best friends still to this day, uh, wonderful man. And uh, we just hit it off in the interview and we we're just talking everything except about the job. You know, we didn't talk about the job at all. We just talked about all the other stuff, New York and black and white cookies and all this crazy stuff. Yeah. And uh, there was like this pause in the conversation where I was like, okay, now it's my time to kind of, you know, promote myself a little. And I said, you know, I would love to have this job because like I didn't even finish the sentence and he just says, relax, bro, you got the job. So, <laughs> <laughs> nice. so that's how I got the job. And I just started teaching English um, in Dubai there. And um, when, you did, say, when you say that there's like a, a massive uh, salary, maybe I missed it. I, I think you said something like um, it's uh, way more lucrative to be a teacher yeah. there than here in the States. Like, like give me an example. Um, like, like what, what, what would you make over there in U.S. dollars anyway? So I would have to kind of do a little bit quick math because they do provide you housing. So that's like another expense that's taken care of. Um, they, they give you health care, of course, and they give you, um, you know, some you know tickets to go back home every year. And uh, so there's like a whole bunch. Of, and sometimes they give you a gratuity. So there's like a whole bunch of little perks around the way. Yeah. But you take home, it's tax free and you would take home. I would say like something like a year as a, just a high school English teacher, something like 80 grand. So that's U S like U S yeah, U S 80 grand. So, so it's that much money plus all those perks that you just no, mentioned. No, I'm adding, I'm adding all the perks. Oh, so you're like adding with, the perks. In. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. like if I were to, you know, kind of boil it down after I include all the perks, you know, it'd be like getting paid 80 grand as an English teacher in high school, you know, here in the U S which is unheard of. You know, that's what a principal gets paid at a, private school here totally yeah so i mean the um what was life like in well let me me put it this way what was your like what was your uh state of mind during this whole period like you left new york um Mm -hmm. it sounds like you wanted to uh get some international experience but uh when you left, it wasn't exactly like, I don't, I'm not, you weren't going to something specific. You were just going to go over there and see if you could find something. Yep. And you wound up here, like, like this whole period, this stage of your life, um, like how, how old were you first of all in this period? And, and, uh, what, what, what was your state of mind? What were you thinking? Like, how, how were you thinking? Like, were you thinking, man, my, this is my future. I love it here. This is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And just, what was your whole state of mind there? I was about 22. I was very young. Um, and, uh, I was just excited because I was just happy to be having a new experience and meeting new people. And, you know, Dubai is very cosmopolitan. You know, you said you've been there. I met a lot of different cultures. I got to know a lot more. like I had Indian friends, but they're Americans, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and in college I had, you know, you know, they're, they're Indian by, you know, heritage or, you know, that's their background, but they're American. Um, and, but I got to know a little bit more of the Indian culture, the Pakistani culture. I got to know more, of course, of the, you know, the Emirati culture there. Uh, I'm, you know, I had students from Iran, uh, you know, I used to 
work at a private school, sometimes part-time and uh, like a language school. And I, I got to meet Chinese students, you know, just, I got a chance to, uh, you know, learn and become a better person and, you know, broaden my mind a little bit uh, from a young age. And Dubai is a great hub for travel. So every weekend, every break, I had a chance to, you know, take a flight, cheap flight to somewhere. I got a chance to go yeah. see, you know, Turkey and the Middle East and, you know, Asia. I went to, you know, the Philippines. I'm, not, I'm sorry, not the Philippines. I went to Thailand. I went to Malaysia. You know, I went to a whole bunch of different countries that I would never have a chance to in the States because it's so close. And, uh, you know, again, just I think, you know, the Arabs have a uh, or the Egyptians have a proverb that says, you know, travels uh, is the best teacher. And I really believe that because when you travel, you know, you have to endure some sort of hardship. At the same time, you have to you know, you have to adapt. You can't just be yourself. You have to, you have to, you know, try to, you know, accustom yourself to the new culture, the new climate, the new people. You know, you can't have the sense of entitlement that unfortunately a lot of Westerners have. Um, you have to, you know, you're, you're a visitor and you have to kind of, uh, you know, assimilate. So did you, I really, did you go through hardship? What was the hardship? No, it, I mean, in travel? No, I mean, I mean, I just mean just in general travel. You, it's not always easy. You know, it's tiring, and you know, the airline messes something up, or your hotel's not booked properly, or whatever. You know, like you're just sure. you're not in your comfort zone. You know, um, but yeah. So, well, I, but so when you were over there, like you know, when you were leaving New York, you know, was that the first time you had left home? No, no, I I traveled before that and during college, and I, I went to Egypt like twelve times before that. And, you know, my parents we went back for summer vacations. I went to Spain. I went to the UK. Um, no, wow, uh, so that that's a, actually you were pretty well traveled then, um, more so than your typical American. Like, what? How did that? Uh, you know, what what uh, what circumstances led to you being so uh, well traveled and and been able to experience the world in that way? Mm. I don't know. I mean, I, I think I just never thought traveling was a big deal because, we, you know, my parents, we even as kids, we used to travel a lot in the States. We used to go on a lot of vacations, drive down to Florida, go to Disney World, do whatever. You know, my father's a big traveler. He likes to travel. He likes new experiences. Um, and uh, I, I just, you know, we used to go to Egypt every summer pretty much when we were younger. So it was it was fun to do that. And and, you know, my parents had a lot of different friends. You know, my dad's best friend was like, you know, Italian-American and my mom's best friend was Greek. And so we met a lot of different cultures. And I was just very intrigued about different. I just felt like the world was so big and expansive. I, I really thought that you know, I would love to have a different experience. I, I never have this kind of fear that some people have. I don't know why. Maybe just because maybe I traveled when I was young. I, mean, I got on the plane for the first time when I was like seven, I think. So I know I have friends that, you know, don't like to fly because they didn't fly that much when they were a kid. So I guess I just, I, I don't know why. I think we just, uh, I just always was intrigued by different culture. I still am. I, there's so many places in the world I really want to visit and, and see. But so it was mostly, I mean, like you, you traveled a lot because your, your dad, your parents liked to travel. So you had that mm -hmm. experience growing up yeah. of kind of traveling a lot of different places. So when you left to go to Dubai, I mean, that that wasn't anything new. It was not like, a, um, oh, my gosh, no. this is going to be a crazy experience. So like like I asked before, like what were you what, what were your plans? What what, was, what were your thoughts in, in making that move? I mean, was it temporary my, my, in your mind? Yeah, or, or, my thought was like, let me just try a year and see what happens, you know, see if I can do it. You know, like I, I'm, I'm that's just my nature. Like I, I really believe that you'll never know 
how something really is until you actually try it. You have to try and go and try a year around Dubai. You try this launch of an ebook and see what happens. You know, like you can't just imagine and think and plan. That's just useless. You're not going to really know until you actually do it. So I just thought, well, it's just a year. Let me go try a year. If worst case scenario, I'll just go home, you know, and, and sort myself out in America like I always do, you know, just whatever, find a job and, you know, uh, it's okay, whatever. How long um, did you end up staying? 10 years. Wow. So yeah. that, that year turned into, okay, so you went overthinking, oh, this is an experiment. I'm going to go try a year. Yeah. You know, worst case, I'll come home. And you end up staying there for 10 years. So what uh, Why? <laughs> What changed while you were there that made you, made you I mean, 10 years is, is a long yeah. time. You know, what made you uh, stay that long? There's three things, I think. One, um, I really started to get into my career as an educator. I really... The thing about Dubai is that they're a very wealthy country and the students that you have, I was teaching locals like you nationals. So um, it was a it was a public school. So it was I didn't teach anybody other than Emirati locals. So they're a very rich country. These students are very um, wealthy and very pampered and you could say are spoiled. Yeah. Um, you know, most of them had, you know, E-classes and Mercedes and Jaguars and things like that, you know, at the age of 16, 17, you know, yeah. um, you know, and so when you're teaching students like that, you can't teach them in a traditional way. You can't teach, you can't just tell them what to do and they're going to do it. Like, they're like, why? So I can grow up and be a teacher like you? Like, I'm going to be okay regardless of what happens to me, you know? So you have to, I learned a very hard lesson that really has helped me in just business education, you know, I'm, I'm in the business of education now. So, yeah. and that lesson is, is that you have to, you know, students really don't care about how much you know until you show them how much you care. You yeah. really have to connect with them as a human being and care about them. And then they're going to start responding and doing things for you and listening and studying and because they want to impress you. They want to, they want to please you, you know, and it's nothing new. We used to do homework for our teachers that we liked and the teachers we didn't like, we just said, whatever, you know, that's what we yeah. did as kids. So that's one thing. I really started to kind of get my groove and I really started to get better at it. Like I really became very good at teaching. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is that, um, after my first year, I was like, okay, the money's good. I can do another year. Let's see how it goes. Um, I had a lot of, you know, you have a lot of time off because you have like practically two and a half months off in the summer. You have a whole bunch of holidays in the year. So I said, I can do another year. And it gives me enough money and flexibility to try things on the side and business online. So I was able to do that. Um, so but I was also getting a lot of promotions. I was moving very fast in my career for somebody my age. I was 25 and I was leading a team of 33 teachers. Most of them were maybe twice my age. So I had to learn very quickly how to become a manager, how to lead a whole different type of people, you know, 33 different types of teachers. Not only are they different teachers because they're different people and personalities and one teaches math and the other teaches English. The other person teaches like technical drawing. Mm -hmm. Um, they're coming from different countries. You know, one is from Gujarat, yeah. the other person is from Yemen, the other person's from this place, this person, you know, is Canadian. So like everybody's got this different story, background and context. And I learned a very invaluable skill of how to approach people in a different way. I have to deal with every single person in a different way because their context is different. The way you can, you know, 
listen or, you know, or get them to kind of comply with what you want them to do is different. You know, you can't just use the same formula with everybody. It was kind of like a crash course in like Dale Carnegie, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, and it was just, um, for me, I was very excited at the opportunity to kind of grow and I was getting promotions and I would felt like I'm, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm feeling significant. I feel important. I feel like I'm making it happen. No one in my peers back home or have this type of job or have this type of advancement in their career. So that was a high. I kind of got addicted to the idea of I'm the man, you know, and, yeah. uh, even though it was in the context of a job and a career and whatever, and, but I was 25 and I really just enjoyed the fact that I was making good money and I was respected and I was, you know, I just felt like I was growing and I felt like I was making it happen. And lastly, to be completely honest, it was because of the money. You know, the money was good. And when you make good money at a job, it's very hard for you to just cut off the umbilical cord and say, no, I don't need this. You know, like, you know, you don't know where you're going to find that kind of money again. Um, so, yeah. you know, it was just good money. And I stayed because the money just got. And as I grew and as I advanced in my career, obviously, my salary got higher. So you know, those are the reasons. <laughs> so the whole time you were there for 10 years, was it, was it one of those situations where you always knew it was temporary and somehow 10 years just slipped by or that somewhere in the middle there, did you, did you ever think, um, this, this, I might stay here. This might become my home. You know, this might be where I have a family and raise children and, and, and live life or what's, uh, I don't think I ever fully thought that. I don't because the nature of living as an expat in Dubai, you're you're never you're never a resident. You're never a, you know you can't become a citizen. You know, yeah. and at the end of the day, you know you make friends, you make connections. But I'm an American, you know, and uh, you know I grew up here. This is who I connect with. You know, this is my country. This is you know this is what I feel is home. Um, when I go home in the summer, I, I, it's always reconfirmation that there's nothing like home. Um, and you know, obviously like, you know, it's not, it wasn't year to year 10, you know, I signed contracts for three years at some point and I was like, okay, I'll do three years and I'll, you know, and, and the thing is that as I grew in my career, as I grew as a person, I more and more started getting serious about the idea of starting my, you know, full time on, you know, business and, and taking that leap and I realized I need a runway. I need to have a plan. I need to kind of, how am I going to have an exit strategy? You know, and uh, I feel very fortunate that I'm coming, I came off a career that is so good when it comes to preparation for just business content marketing and its education. I just feel like very fortunate about that. And the funny yeah. thing is that when I made that leap, I, my first you know, I would say eight months, nine months, I denied that a little bit. I was like, oh, I'm not a teacher anymore. I'm not an educator anymore. You know, uh, you know, even though I, I know it inside out, I'm a business person now. And I just, cause you know, when you come from that world, you're always in boxes. So, and then I realized this is my advantage, man. Like this is, I, I, I know how to put a lesson together. I know how to, you know, I know how to put a curriculum together. I know how to teach. I know how to make sure comprehension is taking place. So, um, I embraced it and I really realized it's those, those years were really well spent. You were, you were denying the fact that you were a business person? No, I was like when I made the leap to becoming a full-time entrepreneur, I was kind of like, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm businessman. You know, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm not a teacher anymore. I'm not an educator anymore. So oh, so I kind you, of, yeah, you were kind of thinking, you know, um, you weren't connecting that you could use all that yeah, stuff that you'd I, learned. I, I, 
Yeah, I never thought that that was, you know, because you, you, you're in the, in the beginning, you're very insecure. You feel like you're not, you need to have some sort of credibility. It's the reason why I went to Wharton, you know, and it's just like, it's a lot of insecurity. Then you realize when you're in the world and you're doing it full time and you're like, okay, you know what? Like you got to use everything in your power to, to, to have some sort of advantage. Absolutely. So I want to talk about that entrepreneurial jump because so far in your story, it's been, you know, you you didn't like the instability as much as a child. And so you chose a career that seemed pretty stable, but somewhere over there in Dubai, you know, you said you were doing things on the side and, you know, so where did that itch come from? What was, what was the first thing you ever did? What was the first Mm. thing you ever did on the side? Um, that was an attempt at, um, you know, a, a side business or a freelance thing or project or whatever. And why did you do it? Well, I had a lot of like small businesses on the side that did well. Like I had an eBay store that sold rare, like basketball sneakers that did well. Um, I had, um, like a consultancy firm where I, I helped people build websites on WordPress, you know, when WordPress was very young. Um, I, you know, I did a lot of design work for people. I did, one of my largest businesses uh, before I, I kind of left education that I had on the side was was very successful and it was more of a physical business. I had a clothing line, um, a male clothing line, and it was uh, it was done very well. It was very profitable. Uh, we had offices in four different cities. We had you know warehouses in two different cities. We you know I had a staff of over twenty people, and it was very very wow. lucrative. And I, you know, it was, it was slowly, slowly, it was like four years in the making because I did this have a job. This was all in Dubai. Yeah. And, so, but so you, the, st- you started this in, this clothing line was started in Dubai, basically. Yeah, all the clothing was handmade in Dubai and we sold it online, usually in Western markets like the US, Canada, Australia. So um, I'm just so like, uh, this is amazing. There's so many different things here. Um, I want to, <laughs> I want to really hear about this clothing line because that's just like, what the hell? And that just came out of the left field. But like yeah. the thing you meant, the eBay, the the design, the entrepreneurial stuff. So again, like what was the first one? Like you're teaching, you're over there. Suddenly, you know, the itch to do something else, the thing that you had kind of grown up not yeah. wanting to do, you know, appeared. So where did, where did that come from? And what was that first thing? You know, the first thing was. I probably, I don't know, I subconsciously resorted to what I knew growing up. And what I did is I used to uh, arbitrage. I used to find people that are trying to sell their cars on eBay. And I used to match them up with buyers. And I would be the middleman and I would sell and get basically a commission. I would, you know, I would, you know, this person say, I need to sell my car. It's These are the specs. It's, I'm selling it for five grand. I would go to a buyer and say, hey, I got this car. It's, you know, seven 7,500. Here are the specs. Da, 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 da. You know, are you interested? Yes, I am. Okay. Um, go how ahead and take the, a look at the car. How and in then, the world did you, did that happen? How, how did that even, how did that idea, how, how did that, you're teaching in Dubai as an English yeah. teacher and then you're selling cars? Like how, how did, how did that happen? Like, <laughs> well, tell me that online, story. So you could do anything you want online, yeah. you know, and how that happened is that to me, like, that doesn't sound strange because I grew up in that world. I went to work with my dad every weekend. I saw him buy cars from auctions. I saw him sell cars in, you know, on the lot. I saw him, you know, evaluate cars. I saw him how to be a salesperson. Mm. And to me, 
I wanted to start a business, I didn't try to find something new. I just said, I know this. I know, I'm, and I purely just did it to see if I can make a buck. I just said, can I actually make a, you know, make money online doing this thing, having some sort of business? And I just tried it with one car, and I, it worked. And but what made you, what made you feel that way? Because as you said, you were doing great over there. The pay uh -huh. was great. Whoa, Everything was wonderful. Good, yeah. You know, what made you say, I want to see if I can make a buck on the side. Uh, I had a lot of time on my hands, you know, school got out there at one thirty. <laughs> yeah. So I had time, uh, when I was in Dubai at the time, you know, they, they observed the siesta, which is like, you know, they had a break from like, well, nothing was open from one to four thirty. So you were just like, I got to find things to do. I'd read a lot. I read a lot of books in that time period. Um, but the point was that I just kind of like said, Hey, I just got this feeling that, Maybe I can try something else, do something new. I like challenges and I just saw, you know, I used to use eBay when I was in the States. I used to, you know, I just thought, hey, let me just see if this works. I don't know. I, I, to me, it was just like I have nothing to lose. I have time yeah. on my hands. And if I can make some money, I thought that would be exciting. I know that I stopped that right at a uh, interesting point, but that's that's on purpose. That's uh, you know podcasting tricks to get you to come back and listen to the last half on Wednesday. And the last half is very interesting. As I said, Omar's a very interesting guy, and uh, I'm glad that we were able to record this. So chip back on Wednesday for part two with Omar. As I said in the intro, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the show. If you want to find out how to do that, then you can go to avclark.com slash support. You can also leave me a rating and a review on iTunes or tell people about the show. That's also a great way to support this show. And as I've said in the last few episodes, I've got a new show coming out uh, about podcasting to kind of go along with my podcasting course. And it's going to be a Q&A format show. So if you're into podcasting and you've got questions, just head over to avclark.com slash ask and leave me a question. And if it gets featured on the show, you'll have a chance to win some pretty cool gear that I'm going to be giving away. I'll have more details about that in the near future. So check out that stuff. I hope you're having a great start to your week. And I will see you Wednesday with part two. I don't know, I'm sort of just an old guy with a big tongue. That's I'm just a big old tongue old man. That's all that is. Um, that's sort of how many words am I at?